You're a machine. No. No, you're not a machine? Yes. Yes, you are, or yes, you're not? Yes. Yes, what? Yes, not. Talk about a malfunction. Not malfunction, Stephanie. Number five is alive. Welcome to Now Playing's bonus short circuit retrospective series. Here's Johnny. Hosted by Stuart. Well, the cat is dragged in a sight for four eyes, that is for sure. Justin. Oh, this guy's a genius. Well, above average. And Arnie. Well, you sure don't talk like a machine. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Holy shit. Oh, shit. Where's sea shit? Listener discretion is advised. Let's party. Today we're discussing Short Circuit 2, starring Tim Blaney, Fisher Stevens, Michael McKeon, Cynthia Gibb, Jack Weston, directed by Kenneth Johnson. This is Arnie, member of the Now Playing Gang. Now play and kick your ass! Now play and kick your face! Now play and kick your balls into outer space! <laughs> Stuart in LA. This is Justin. I have to admit, I did wanted to do this podcast specifically just so I could do that opening. I, I'm done. <laughs> so we're finished here. All right. <laughs> Justin Stewart, you recommend. <laughs> I do that chance so often, like twice a month, just to get myself revved up in the morning. I do the Los Locos chance by watching this with Marjorie. She's like, so that's where you get that shit from. <laughs> Ah, uh, the things that are going to show up in your divorce filings. <laughs> Exhibit A, Short Circuit 2. Maybe not. Yeah, Short Circuit 2, let me welcome everyone to another bonus review podcast, finishing off the Short Circuit series. And if you're enjoying these bonus shows, be sure to thank a donor. We're able to do these extra shows thanks to those who are supporting Now Playing during the spring 2016 donation drive. And a reminder in case you haven't been listening to our Born shows and such, and you don't know, we're doing 14 bonus movie reviews right now. This Friday, we have Ghostbusters, our last leg of our donation series, the Platinum Level, as we review the two classics and the upcoming controversial reboot. If nothing else, I don't know if I'm going to like it or not, but I'm so looking forward to the conversation about Ghostbusters 2016. There's a lot to talk about and the movie's not even out. Agreed. Sounds like a lot of fun and I hope people can join. Just to remind you, $10 or more gets you five bonus podcasts. All of them are available, so you donate $10 or more right now, you're going to get three Men in Black reviews and two Independence Day reviews. $25 or more and you're going to get... 11 reviews right away. The Men in Black, Independence Day, plus six more 1986 classics. Short Circuit was a sci-fi movie of 86. Well, we did six sci-fi of 86 movies that we felt were worth consideration. That's right. We've covered Critters, Invaders from Mars, Space Camp, Labyrinth, Big Trouble in Little China, and Night of the Creeps. In that order. 
And then if you donate $35 or more, you get all of those right away. And starting this Friday, you can join us as we bust some ghosts with three Ghostbusters reviews. And your donation supports Now Playing, keeps this on the air. So please head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top, or go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate and help keep us going so we can do more bonus shows and continue our plans for what we have in the fall. Even if you can't do $10, if you can do $5, if you can do $2, it really helps the show out so if enough people just chip in to keep the show going. If you enjoy the show, we do every Tuesday, totally free Tuesday, plus the bonus shows like this that we do when we can. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the PayPal button, and help us out. We really appreciate it. We hope you can hear those reviews, especially all the 1986 ones. And last week we talked Short Circuit, one of the sci-fi films of 1986. And now it's 1988 sequel, Short Circuit 2. But we are doing it because you felt like there was enough here that it deserved its own show. We could have tacked on our thoughts, but we did feel like we wanted to do it mostly because you felt like it was worthy of extended consideration. I have such an attachment to this film for reasons that are hard to even convey or even remember. I just... Well, you better start trying. (laughs) If I think about being 13 years old, I think about living in my new house in Florida and watching this movie on a loop. That's true. Some people don't know this. People know you and I grew up together, but there was a portion of our childhood where you were living in an entirely different state, doing other things with other people, and I had no idea what you were doing. Apparently watching Short Circuit 2 over and over. (laughs) I wasn't doing that. I can honestly say I, I saw this movie years later. It was like, I think I was homesick, you know, maybe even playing hooky from high school and was lying in a bed and watching cable. And this came on. That's the one and only time I've seen Short Circuit 2. That's about my experience, too. I, As I sat down and watched this, there's bits and pieces that look familiar. But I honestly don't think I have seen this movie front to back before this. Yeah, you're our Short Circuit newbie when it comes to this one. And I just was at a point in my life where I was recording almost every movie I could Stuart, you probably remember, I had this, like, catalog of EP VHS tapes, just this huge cabinet of hoarding movies, Mm. and for some reason, Short Circuit 2 was the one that most often, I can't say I sat down and watched it paying full attention, but if nothing else was on, Short Circuit 2 was on, and I remembered so much of this going back in. I remembered... First of all, the no, no, none of the stars of the last one returned. It was all on Fisher Stevens. Yes, and I remember that being a blight on it. That was damning, and I think it might have been a reason why the movie made half the amount of money that the first one did, was that, yeah, they, they don't have half the cast they did last time. This honestly might be the first time as a child, because I'm, I'm about the same age as you, Arnie. I'm 13, 14 at this time, and I'm thinking, oh, so sequels aren't necessarily a good thing. Like, I think I might have, like, made that realization with this movie. And it was around this time, I actually think it was Teen Wolf 2 where it clicked into me. Mm. Where... Justin Bateman. He's no Michael J. Fox. He's no Fisher Stevens. <laughs> but it was about then I realized that you have a couple different types of sequels. One where you get the stars back and the story goes a different way, and one where you don't and you just tell the same story again. He just head to Canada.
My honest shock, if you said write a sequel to Short Circuit 2, my go-to is the obvious thing is he falls in love, right? That there's a lady body interest. I was shocked. I was so pleased that they didn't go that route. I was willing to go anywhere with this movie. But I think I remember there were bank robbers, and I remember a scene where he was slinging them around. But that was the only visual I had. Yeah, that is kind of the thing. If you look at Robocop 2, two Robocops. You look at Alien, Aliens, more Aliens. It is almost the go-to that there would be a second droid of some sort. You think love interest, I think enemy combatant. Sure, but another robot. We've already seen what Johnny can do, so let show us what some other robot could do. But there probably was no money for that. <laughs> no droid for you. Maybe mini droids. Uh, you know, they, they got a couple of uh, pint-sized ones in this one. There wasn't a lot of information about the budget of this film. I do know that Gutenberg was willing to come back. Oh? If they paid his price. Ah, uh, okay. He did do Three Men and a Little Lady. <laughs> as long as there was not a Police Academy 8. No, no, yeah, he had walked away. There were a couple of things. I mean, he said they didn't pay the money. And he said that they didn't have a script, and he wasn't willing to do it without seeing a script. But he has said in recent years that he wished he hadn't turned this down because he likes doing sequels and they're a lot of fun. Ali Sheedy, I don't know if she was asked back or not. The producers just said she's too expensive. I don't know if that was after or before she gave them a quote. They did get her back, though. That was her voice. She did do an audio recording voiceover. I noticed that there was a very good sound like, if not the real McCoy, reading that letter. And we get a little bit of Stephanie, but not too much. No, just, just the right amount to let you know that she's not going to be in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and John Badham wanted to come back. I mean, Short Circuit was a big hit for his career. He wanted to return, but he said he was busy on another project. Interestingly, he didn't have any movies, 88 or 89, so I couldn't tell you what that project was, but sometimes directors are attached to projects for a long period of time, and then they never come to fruition. It may have been yeah. early stages on Bird on a Wire. <laughs> it takes years to put Mel and Goldie together. I don't know. Chances are it was some pet project that everyone was like, no, we don't want to make this. I mean, that can usually be where people spend years of their time and not have a movie result out of it. But while this may have the stench of death on it because the stars didn't return, I rarely ever mention what other critics thought of a film at the time, but what was on the VHS box I rented was Siskel and Ebert two thumbs up after giving the original two thumbs down. Hmm. Interesting. Really? Yeah. So whichever one of them you respect, and usually it's one of them, they gave this a thumbs up. And the screenwriters did come back for this. Uh, Johnny Five came back for this. Fisher Stevens, we've mentioned. There were some carryovers here, and we're in good hands. It's Kenneth Johnson who is taking over directorial reigns. Yeah, we've done one of his movies. Steel, perhaps one of the worst <laughs> we've ever reviewed. Shaq does not agree with you, but he did a lot of TV during this time, too. He was responsible for the V miniseries, the Alienation TV series, the Incredible Hulk TV series. That that does say a lot, though, because I felt like a lot of this movie looked like it was shot for television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew his name right away from that Hulk TV series, so I don't necessarily associate his name with the stench of death. Only when I looked up his feature work did that come to mind. They had some kind of confidence in this. That Usually, if you have an absolute dog, they kind of dump you in January, February. This came out in the height 
of summer movie season. July 8th, 1988. A week after Coming to America, a week before Die Hard. And I feel like it's kind of both at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Coming to America, it's opening week. And then I saw (laughs) Die Hard, it's opening week. So... It was a busy summer for me. Not as busy as 89, but a big year. I, you know what? I only saw Poltergeist 3, Caddyshack 2, and The Blob that whole summer. So I just wasn't <laughs> going to the movies. It wasn't that those were the ones I thought would be the best. Although Poltergeist 3, I was not going to miss. It was that I was usually out at summer camp or doing some activity and just, I didn't make time for the movies back then. Oh, I saw a lot. I came back to Springfield and saw License to Drive, which opened the same weekend as this and beat it at the box office a lot. Now you're talking my language. (laughs) I figured you'd be excited about Corey's. You get the Corey's in there and I'm there. (laughs) You know, it's worth pointing out that it was a hard summer for kids entertainment. You know, there were a lot of kid-oriented stuff like Short Circuit to Big Top Pee-wee, Mac and Me, they made a new Pippi Longstocking, all of them bombed. Willow. Well, yeah, I, I don't think that was meant specifically for kids. I mean, there's the difference between all ages and then this is basically we're making it for your younger brother. And I feel like <laughs> this movie belongs in that box. It did not grow with the audience that would have discovered it two years ago. It was made for their younger brother. They kept it a kiddie audience. And I think maybe that was the wrong move because Kitty wasn't playing in 1988. Oh, I don't know. I feel like maybe they weren't sure what line they were, what side of that line they wanted to stay on. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about it as we get in there. But there's a few things in here where I was like, whoa, that's definitely pushing the bounds of a pg-13 even at points yeah no you're right i i say kitty because i'm thinking of the humor but this story does go down some very dark alleys and then tries to run over the robot in that alley it's <laughs> yes i'm with you this i was surprised i can legitimately say without spoiling too much i was genuinely surprised by this movie and i remembered almost all of it well then why don't you tell them what they're missing What's the plot of Short Circuit 2? After being fired from his job at Novatech, Fisher Stevens' character Ben has moved to the big city. What city? That's up for debate, but the big city. (laughs) (laughs) There he becomes a street vendor selling small toy versions of the Saint Robot and studies to become an American citizen. So this is definitely not Toronto. No matter what, this is not Toronto. (laughs) Except it's the most Toronto I've ever seen in any <laughs> film shot in Toronto. If you go to, like, a filming location, Search Circuit 2 is considered the best movie showcasing the city of Toronto. <laughs> with the aerial shots and everything. But he's trying to be an American citizen, so it's any city but Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> When one of Ben's toys walks itself into a major department store, he finds himself faced with an order of 1,000 robots thanks to store buyer Sandy, played by Cynthia, no relation to Andy, Gibb. Ben doesn't think he can meet that demand, but street hustler Fred, played by Michael McKeon, intervenes, forcing himself upon Ben as a business partner and promising Sandy the 1,000 toy droids. More, Ben starts to romance the comely woman. Fred borrows money from a local loan shark to set up Ben's shop, and for a workshop, he rents a condemned warehouse in the heart of downtown. But that location happens to be right across the street from a bank, where, in the safety deposit box vault for a short time, is the Vanderveer Diamond Collection. Two thieves, Jones and Saunders, 
are drilling under the street to break into the vault and steal the diamonds, and they're using the warehouse as their base, so they smash Ben's equipment hoping to scare off the toy maker. Desperate, Ben writes to his friends Newton and Stephanie, who send Johnny Five to help Ben make the toys. Johnny is a one-robot production line, and he helps install security systems to stop the thieves, but he's also taken with life in the big city, and depressed at his inability to fit in. Even more, a Latino street gang tricks Johnny into helping them rip off car stereos. His only friend seems to be Oscar, played by Jack Weston, who works at the bank. But it turns out Oscar is the mastermind behind the bank heist. He tricks the gullible Johnny into tunneling the rest of the way into the bank's vault, and when he has the diamonds, Oscar has Saunders and Jones smash poor number five. Ben is arrested for Johnny Five's deeds, and it's up to non-mechanical Fred to break into a radio shack and patch Johnny Five back together. In a rage, Johnny goes after and captures Jones, Saunders, and finally Oscar, but the whole time he's been leaking battery fluid. Eventually, his power runs down to zero, causing him to die, his AI lost forever. But Ben grabs the defibrillator and shocks Johnny's battery, saving the droid, and rebuilt with a new gold chrome body, Johnny Five and Ben both become American citizens as credits roll. And without a montage this time. <laughs> and without DeBarge this time. I'm just going to ding this film right off the bat for its music. It is total 80s cheese sacks and none of the electronica fun of the first movie score and certainly no DeBarge. Oh, and on top of that, add to it that late 80s nostalgia for 50s and 60s doo-wop. <laughs> Yeah. And that's our soundtrack. Yeah, they have some oldies in here. Little Richard makes, not an appearance, but his music makes an appearance. Yeah, that was going on in the 80s as well. But I got excited at first. When we see these little Saint toys scurrying around, there was like a Muzak version of Who's Johnny, sort of. At first I'm like, oh, they're going to do it. But I don't think they had the rights to the song. I, I think that there was not a budget to go to pop stars. They didn't need to go back to El DeBarge, but they should have had a new song for Johnny. There should have been some kind of attempt at giving him a new theme. Fine Young Cannibals doing a short circuit song. Something. Yeah, another one-hit wonder. Throw She Drives Me Crazy in there. I would have been all right with it. We get Holding On for a Hero, but that was already in a movie <laughs> four years before. <laughs> and that intro seems so extended that I wasn't sure if they had, like, the rights to it. I was like, is it eventually going to go into the song? Or are we just getting, <laughs> you know, like, the Moog version of it here? But no, it eventually kicked into the whole track. I thought this first one was popular, but it turns out the toy line is being handmade. <laughs> I don't recall ever seeing Johnny Five toys, in fact. I don't think no. that they ever merchandised him entirely correctly. Yeah, that's an opportunity missed, I felt like. I would have bought a Johnny Five robot. Were they available? And it probably would have helped people be interested in a sequel to have had something lying around their house, even in the dumpster, just to be like, <laughs> oh yeah, that movie. I, I, I'm telling you, it was two years since the first one, but that can feel like an eon when you're a kid. I mean... Short Circuit, certainly by the time I came back to the sequel, felt like old news. Yeah, and certainly the toys like Ben is selling when this movie starts as a street vendor, those were common enough toys at that time. I mean, you could have had remote-controlled car Johnny Fives that maybe his head and arms wouldn't move, but you'd be able to drive him around. You could have these automatic walking Johnny Fives like... Ben is selling. There are ways you could have had Johnny Five toys. Hell, they could have made a Rob 
the robot Johnny Five version for Gyromite. Oh, yeah. They could have these things in that little bin out front of KB Toys at the mall where they had the barking dogs and everything that just kind of mm-hmm. bounced off of each other. That's where you could have sold. There certainly was love for toys that interfaced with mechanics and talking and all of that. I mean, Teddy Ruxpin, what have you. There, there would have been ways to market it. But the what word to believe is, is that it's forbidden to work out of his truck to produce a couple tiny little saint dolls and one just happens to, is, is it an executive decision? Is he's like, I'm tired of being on the street corner, <laughs> but the robot's just like, eh, I'm going to go inside. I'm going to go through, you know, you got all of the usual slapstick bits. He goes through a lady's dressing room and gets away with some panties. He, you know, bounces on a trampoline, nearly gets run over a couple times, but eventually is going to be discovered by the person that makes buying decisions for the toy department. I like this opening. It's a nice throwback to the original where Johnny is kind of being thrust out into the world and not really knowing what's going on. And this time it's just shrunk down and in a in a really busy mall. So I thought this kind of gave me hope. Like, oh, yeah, this movie knows what its predecessor was all about. And it's going to kind of give us a cute version of that. And uh, the, the rails started <laughs> shaking already. This whole scene reminded me of the climax of Gremlins with gizmo in a mall <laughs> this this whole movie reminds me of gremlins too <laughs> <laughs> going to the mall was a big deal but i want to point out this didn't feel like the right opening because this is not johnny these are imitative reduced less intelligent personable they're not alive these are just wannabe johnnies and it will take johnny about 18 minutes to show up here i feel like for a kid that's a long time to wait for a 42-year-old adult, that's a long time to wait. I'll just... <laughs> I was checking the clock around the 15-minute mark. Like, has it been a half an hour? Where's Johnny? Yes. Yeah, that should have been the theme song. Last time it was, who's Johnny? It's like, where the... is Johnny? <laughs> they could have given it to, like, a rapper, Houdini or something. Cool Mo D would have done awesome with it. I do want to say, though, one last note on Toronto here. They do, I think we're supposed to think this is New York, right? And, like, this is Saks Fifth Avenue. Like, Big came out around the same time. and They couldn't yep. be ripping off Big, but I think they're going for that kind of uh, yeah. FAO Schwartz kind of feel. Oh, yeah. But I have been to the street where Ben is selling these things. It's Young Street in Toronto. I was just there, like, last year to see Faith No More in concert. There's a great comic store there, one of the best I've ever been to. So... While I think they're going for New York, and later on, Oscar gives Johnny Five a travel guide with the St. Louis Arch on it. I noticed that too. (laughs) Is that a way of saying get lost? (laughs) Go away? Like so many other things in this movie, it just felt like a half-assed decision right before the scene was shot. Like, oh, we need a travel guide. Uh, Here's St. Louis. And just they grabbed it and gave it to him. They couldn't even paste a picture of the Statue of Liberty on it. <laughs> yeah, a way to help out this movie, because part of the reason why it takes 18 minutes is they got to set up the fact that being flown in under high security with a character we're never going to see again is this collection of diamonds. Why not just have a jewelry store across the way or just a jewelry store in the shopping center? You didn't have to have all this preamble about jewels coming in and being locked in a bank. You could have just made it much more simple. But that's the ticking clock. These thieves could have just 
been like, well, crap, this building's being condemned in a couple of months. Let Ben make his toys and get the hell out, and then we'll go rob some jewels. The fact that the Vanderbeer collection, and what is it about Vanderbeer that makes me think of De Beers? Like, what is that diamond company? Yeah, yeah, they're, well, but that was intentional. Okay, but it's only going to be kept in the safety deposit box until one day before the exhibition, meaning these thieves cannot wait around for Ben to get the hell out. Then it should have been a museum, and this was going to be a traveling exhibit that was going to go away. I don't know how you write it. I just know that it takes too long to get the character we want to see. Unless you really love Ben. And I got to ask, Arnie, you were his biggest defender last time. Is he not as funny? He's just as funny. I love him in this movie. I love his lines. Slower than Mold's asses in January. I laugh. <laughs> I just got that joke. I didn't even understand it when he told it. But when you retold it, I'm like, oh, molasses, molasses. Ah. <laughs> it's harder. You got to work harder when Fisher Stevens is doing it. Circa that accent. I had to pick up a DVD, not a Blu-ray, a DVD for a three-minute featurette on Fisher Stevens on behind the scenes of this film. And he looks nothing like this character. Like, he looks so young and so white. It's completely strange. He has blue eyes. They put contact lenses in him, a wig. It was weird to, like, see him talk about playing this role when he looked nothing like it. Kudos to the makeup department. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at last time we were talking about his portrayal of an Indian person. Because makeup, I mean, that's that's brown face and contacts and, oh, the whole thing. But... Yeah, with Fisher Stevens in this movie, they changed his last name, and I don't know why. They did? Yes. Look on IMDb. He plays Ben, I think in this one it's Javari. Yeah. In the first one, it was Ben Jabatuya. So I'm not quite sure why they needed to change a last name. Hey, I wonder if that first one was a pun. Jabatuya. Possibly. I don't know, but you're going to find out he did indeed not come from Pittsburgh <laughs> or... From Bakersfield that, yes, they're they're reinventing this character. And if you like continuity, maybe that'll be a problem for you. It really wasn't for me, but I did notice. He is not an American citizen. That is the big thrust for him. I don't know that this character has an arc at all. He is Ben and he is wanting to find acceptance both with a woman and with a country. Yeah, well, I think his story works in parallel. What we're supposed to understand is that... His story is not so different from Johnny once Johnny comes bursting into the storyline. Mailed from Montana by two characters from the last movie who probably secretly were looking for any excuse <laughs> to get rid of the third wheel, right? At this point, two years of Johnny like walking in on their lovemaking, you'd be like, okay. Need input. Need input. Stephanie getting input. <laughs> ben needs slave labor. Let's put you in a box. And here's some, I think, granola brownies, and, and you're, we're gone. Well, this is all really the fault of new character Fred Ritter, played by Michael McKean. They actually paid for somebody. I mean, we got Lenny from Laverne and Shirley and Spinal Tap. Yeah, Spinal Tap would have still been fresh on people's mind. Maybe not fresh is the right word, but uh, certainly a comedy touchstone of the 80s. And I think that he might have helped with adults that were taking their kids be a little bit more excited for this movie. He sends the message that there's going to be a little bit more adult humor. Yeah, at this time, 
Michael McKean was somebody in my rearview mirror who was basically Lenny. Yeah. You know, I hadn't seen Spinal Tap at this point, but you know, in, in more recent years, I've really come to appreciate him when he's doing Christopher Guest stuff. Mm-hmm. I really love that work. But so going back and watching this, he ended up being kind of my touchstone yeah. for this movie and somebody I could relate to with all this other mess going on around it. He's to me an actor who I'm like, wow, Lenny still works. I mean, I loved him in Clue, but I'm like, hey, Lenny. And then I loved him here. And the same year, Earth Girls are easy. Every time he shows up, Airheads, I'm like, wow, that guy just keeps going. So yeah, he's here as like a hustler trying to sell fake Rolexes on the street right next to Ben's toys. He's the one who steps in when Sandy comes out and wants to buy a thousand and Ben's like, it's going to take me six years to do it. And Fred's going to be like, I'm your business partner. And Ben's like, accepts this. It's almost like a non-consensual business partner. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it made me feel like he was going to be the villain of this movie. In my mind, I thought he was going to be the one trying to rip off Ben and live off his money. And he is, but he's not the villain. And that was a surprise. I was anticipating that. Uh, But we have people that are actually doing the real villain work in the place that he rents, that he goes to some loan shark. They were in a strip club. Yes. And I'm, Pretty sure the chick in the back had no top on. (laughs) I usually notice these things and I didn't. So now I have to rewatch this movie. (laughs) I think she started off with the top. But by the time the scene was over, I think she was topless. But it was hard to tell. Yes, it was very clear that, yes, he was taking money from a place that was, yes, a strip club. And gets enough money to rent a condemned building for a couple weeks. Hires, I think, some homeless people to do the product line, and that was going to be their business. And then all of a sudden, the real villains come in with crowbars and ski masks. That's part of my problem with this overall story, though, is you're right, because they set him up as a potential bad guy. We quickly realize he's not necessarily going to be that. And then later on in the movie, maybe he is, but we have been introduced to the real crooks, but we have yet to be introduced to the real bad guy. So they have almost too much... You know, who is the antagonist and who's the protagonist going on here? My 11-year-old daughter had a hard time following what was going on. And at one point, I could just see she mentally checked out. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there was so much going on that just wasn't adding up to anything that I was starting to check out. Seriously, there's a lot going on in this beginning here. I kind of was thinking about Bowfinger with these homeless people who start learning about circuitry and things like the illegal immigrant camera crew from that film. But yeah, there's these people tunneling under. There's the guy who owns the diamonds who we literally never see again, as Stuart mentioned. My memory was this whole film was about Los Locos. (laughs) (laughs) I thought they'd have a huge part in it. We're not quite there yet. Let's get there. In order to get the Los Locos, we need to talk about the fact that the workforce is scared away and all hope seems lost for Ben until out comes this crate at the 8-10 minute mark, hopping into the warehouse and popping out with the brownies and quoting all of his pop culture references, lovable Johnny Five. Has he been watching way too much SNL? He at one point does, isn't that special? And another point, yeah, that's the ticket. I'm like, wow, do they have nothing in Montana but NBC? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But yes, Johnny Five comes out. He's also modified himself some more, mostly with little girls' decals. There's a rainbow. There's a pink dot. 
I thought that was Stephanie work right there. I mean, she always had that rainbow thing going on in her food truck. She's oh, the yeah, hippie dippy. she did. Yeah, I, I, he has done some circuitry work on himself. And later he will take these little saints and not only mass produce them, but make them even better than Ben could. And he replaced his laser, which really could have helped him in this movie, a nuclear laser. But now he's got like a lunch pail. He's a big presence, and I think that, you know, he sucks the oxygen out of the room, but he can be fun. I do like this introductory scene. I laugh when he picks up the Hound of the Baskervilles, flips <laughs> rapidly through half of it, goes, I think the chauffeur did it. Flip, 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 flip. I was right. <laughs> I've never read that book. He spoiled it for spoiled me. Spoiled it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But if I haven't read it by this point, maybe I'm not going to. But anyway, uh, what I'm pointing out is that, that there is some adult references, some adult humor. He is manic all the time, but I feel like some of his jokes do work for the older crowd. And some of that feel instantly topical, like, yes, the Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Johnny Five, I was really excited when he finally got here because I like Fisher Stevens, but he is no Johnny Five. They spend so much time setting this up. I mean, we didn't even talk about Sandy, the store buyer who is apparently half stupid. I mean, she's like, doesn't have the first clue about toys. She is on the verge of being fired until she finds Ben's droid, needs that. So much of this going on. And I'm like, what the hell does this have to do with anything? It's so much set up. When Johnny Five shows up, I'm instantly excited. And that lasts for about 10 minutes. And then I'm like, wow, the plot's still not going anywhere. Johnny Five showed up. But what's the story? <laughs> There's two stories. There is, we need to make the toys so that Ben can please this Sandy because it's a love story. And not only does he want to do the work he's contracted to, he wants her to respect him and, and fall for him. And there will be a sort of romance plot that Johnny is going to facilitate. But I also think that the big draw here, the real star is, sorry, Fisher Stevens, this robot, and we want to see him take input in from something that isn't television. This is the first time that we've seen him really go out into the world and, and learn from it directly, as opposed to just watching television. And the first thing that he learns is costuming. <laughs> Every scene they have this robot dressed up with some ridiculous getup. Mm -hmm. He wants to be human. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, that that's what it really comes down to, which makes it almost kind of tragic. Yes. This is a sad movie. I'm not even making that up. I'm not being facetious. There is a lot of heartbreak in this movie. You say it's aimed at young kids. Those kids are going to be blubbering before credits roll. Oh my. At least one point. <laughs> so this is kind of sad. I do wonder when Johnny Five is running down the street, they actually improve the robotics here. They had a remote control unit that could do even more of the stuff than the last one could. How many of these pedestrians are paid extras and how many of these that are just gawking at the robot literally were going to work that day? Yeah. Well, we can spot <laughs> who the plants are. He runs into some punks and later he's going to take their look from them. But human porcupines and he's going to run into the gang. And yes, Los Locos, as you point out, they're going to trick him into helping them open car doors so they can steal stereos. This is what I thought street gangs were like when I was... 12, 13, I swear to God, I thought they jumped around and just chanted like a freaking get-along gang. <laughs> <laughs> so 
saw West Side Story yeah. and Breaking Two too many times. I think. Yeah, you know, Breaking <laughs> Two. I, I, why wouldn't you think that if you were a child that watched television? That is the input we took in all the time. That was what gang life was in Springfield, Illinois. One of the gang members, though, is an actor I have seen so much since, and to me, he's always the Los Locos member from Short Circuit 2, Robert Lasardo. I don't know if you guys know him. He's now tatted head to toe. We talked about him in Human Centipede 3. He was one of the prisoners. <laughs> and if you like Short Circuit 2, please don't see Human Centipede 3. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was in the professional where the thing I know him second best from is if you watch Nip Tuck season one had the gangster Escobar. That was him. Huh? Yeah, I met him on the red carpet for Human Centipede 3, but he didn't. He wasn't someone that I knew. Yeah, this is like his third role. Launched him into mediocredom. Yeah, <laughs> he's an actor I like. He actually carries some toughness that I can't say all these gang members do. He's spooky in the gang and he still had hair back here so it's hard to recognize him but i really did think this was the entire movie is that johnny got wrapped up with this gang i mean let's face it this is where chappy got its plot right this the whole thing is chappy didn't see chappy like much of america oh my god that's it's in the book but oh my god go see chappy <laughs> okay <laughs> it is short circuit three <laughs> But that, in order for me to be excited about that, we must discuss Short Circuit 2. And if I want to see Short Circuit 3. <laughs> <laughs> so, as much as you may want to pretend this is about a robot hanging out with an actor you love in a street <laughs> gang, that is about two minutes of this movie. I know. He gets all tagged and he starts singing salsa music. It's hysterical. It's the best two minutes of the film. I'm just going to say. I can see that that is true for you. I don't know if I agree. And I think I might be kinder to this movie than I'm getting vibes from you guys. But I do feel like the, the plot is challenging. What they will take on. It is convoluted. And I agree. The movie's too long. It's about 15 minutes longer than the first movie. And the first movie felt a little long in my estimation. But I do feel like... The way that it looks at artificial intelligence and has this robot have neurosis over whether he's as good as humans, I mean, it's an interesting and very adult take on ideas that it would be very easy to just make this a frivolous robot movie where he's always getting into slapstick jams. And instead, they really do ask questions about what it means to be a robot or artificial life? Should they be, have the same considerations as a regular American citizen? It does try to take that seriously, but you said it's 15 minutes longer than the first. I legitimately think they should have cut 15 minutes out of this movie. I mean, there's a lot of Johnny in the city, you know, a lot of droid in the city here. He goes out and meets the gang. He then, he plays three-card Monty. He goes out again later on and... Bookstores. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that could be trimmed from this movie. About 45 minutes in, I paused it because I had no idea what the runtime was. I just started and decided it was time to take a break. And I looked at my TV and realized I still had more than an hour to go with this movie. Yeah. And that's a disheartening feeling. I had the same thing. Yeah. It wasn't an hour <laughs> in, but I remember I being like, oh, we're getting to the climax. There must be 20 minutes left. 40. I was like, oh, <laughs> how? Well, it is because they're juggling a lot. It is because they are doing these multiple storylines. So what? Should they have cut 
the jewel heist stuff? I mean, did you not like the idea that there are these diehard criminals that are trying to tunnel through and kick these people out of their hideout, the the warehouse where these toys are being made? See, to me, that felt like there was some comedy relief there and there was a pretty direct cause and effect relationship with what they were trying to do. There was a solid goal for them to try to get to. So I thought that storyline was fine. I felt like the love story part was really crammed in. (laughs) I'll agree with that. I'd say that, honestly, Fisher Stevens needed to be cut down some. I like him, but 15 minutes till Johnny Five, 18 minutes until he shows up, and then the amount of stuff that goes on in between, I don't think any specific plot should be cut. I definitely think that with the script they had, the thrust of it is the jewel heist. So take it for what you will, like it or hate it, that's not where I would trim But yeah, the love story, I actually do, though. This was an 80s thing. It was in almost every sitcom I watched, and I watched a lot of sitcoms. The Cyrano de Bergerac scene, right? Where you've got somebody off to the side who's smooth-talking into a headset or something of a person wooing a girl. Steve Martin made a whole movie about it. Yeah, exactly. Roxanne had just come out the previous year and was a hit, and I think... They knew that. I think that they were tapping into that. I think there, I sense some anxiety about trying to appeal to adults because all of the high stuff feels so slapsticky when he's, you know, smashing around the thieves and all of that. It feels like it plays so much to children. I feel like this other stuff that we're saying makes the movie feel too long. If you really wanted to help adults make it shorter, but their thinking was make it longer and include adult storylines like this love story, like this. Roxanne, Cyrano de Bergiac, Johnny will make Ben a more articulate lover. I think Cynthia Gibb is very attractive. She's the poor man's Elizabeth Shue. So <laughs> I get the attraction. Mm-hmm. And she's better than Sheedy. I actually feel like she has more, uh, at least as a romantic foil. I mean, I did not feel like Gutenberg and Sheedy had much going on between them. I feel like she's more fun to watch and better for Ben than Sheedy was for Gutenberg. And she definitely had that kind of late 80s cute tomboy type of vibe going on. Yeah, she'd done some work before. She was in Youngblood is I think what she's best known for. Is that the Outsiders follow-up? It was some hockey movie with Rob Lowe. Yeah, Rob Lowe, Swayze, her. I never saw it. So if she's best known for it, it's why I don't know her. (laughs) But she's not bad. I agree. She is a good foil for Fisher Steve. But I guess where I'd cut is a little bit of Johnny's soul searching. I mean, there's too much repetition of, I want to be a human and I'm being shunned. And I want to be a human and I'm being shunned. I think the point where it goes a little too far is when he goes to confessional in a church. (laughs) See, I kind (laughs) of like this stuff because it's the kind of stuff you would think, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe this is just a little too heady. We don't want to talk about Jesus and robots. We don't want to go here. It's bold that they put this in here. And I think I'm always more impressive when like, okay, of course, Fred, the shyster is going to try to sell the robot, but then they're actually going to have a dialogue about what it means to be a slave and ownership and all of that. I'm like, you know, this would be a movie if you wanted to get kids talking about, yeah, even the slavery trade of America's history or something. This is a way of easing into that difficult conversation. True, but I guess for a theological discussion, does Johnny have a soul? The way I take it is he has very advanced artificial intelligence. Lightning really screwed with his programming, but 
Do you guys believe Johnny Five is as alive as something that could bleed? In fact, he quotes Shakespeare and says, if you prick us, do we not bleed? I'm like, no, maybe you leak. Well, he quotes everything. He quotes Aretha Franklin. I mean, he, <laughs> a lot. It, <laughs> but but I to me the act of a lightning bolt feels like an act of God. So in that respect, yes, it feels like the creator imbued him with whatever he's got going on. He isn't better programming. He is something beyond anything any other robot has. But yet you raise up these questions of such loftiness. Let's not raise them too high. But yeah, they're right. Don't raise them too high because we're still talking about a robot <laughs> made of metal. I mean, if if we're talking about a movie where we've created androids that look and feel and are exactly like humans, then that's where you start discussing stuff like this. Because anytime you get into that situation, you turn around and here's this guy with a wacky voice and binoculars for eyes. So I just... It what it just speaks to the unevenness of this entire film, Stuart. You've touched on it where you know they're talking about adult themes, and then we're, we're talking about kitty stuff again, and so much so that I think they even upped the volume on his voice. Doesn't his voice sound a little different this time around? A little more animated, a little more I don't know, just in a higher register than the previous film. He sounded about the same to me, but it's the same voice actor. I don't know if they did any intentional change. He's doing so many voices in this one, though, it's hard to get a bead on what is the Johnny Five voice. Yeah, true. He feels more exuberant. I would say that much. Not that he didn't love hanging out at Stephanie's animal farm, but I do feel like having a city to play around in gets him even more joyous. You know, input, input, input. Well, he is just meeting so many more characters, and it does lengthen the movie, but I think it also gives him more to play off of. That That is the one major note my daughter did give me about this movie. She <laughs> said, this guy is an input addict. So... <laughs> Yeah. Take that for what it is. Now, you did mention briefly the subplot of Fred deciding he's going to sell Johnny. He finds out Johnny's an $11 million robot. And so he conveniently finds some company that wants to buy an $11 million robot. And this is Fred's, like, most evil turn. And I think this is where you'd cut, honestly. I agree with what was said earlier. It's one baddie too many. You know, because he's also going to befriend another guy that's going to trick him to dig the tunnel, I feel like you make that the same character. You know, you got this guy that works at the bank. His name is Oscar Baldwin, and he seems kindly, and Johnny has a good repartee with him. I feel like that could have been Fred. In some way, you could have combined those two. And Los Locos. Honestly, I love Los Locos, but there's three different times that people take Johnny for a gullible fool, and that's a little too much repetition. Yeah, I, I get that you wanted the Los Locos movie, uh, <laughs> Colors with a Robot, but I don't think that's where they were going here. And I do feel like they could have written, again, with the idea that time is of the essence, they could have written it so that Fred maybe worked at the bank and, and where Fred got turned by the robbers to help with this because he's a shyster. You could have done something to make this happen faster and just put Fred on this path. But they want to have Fred be a good guy and they want Oscar to ultimately be the ultimate bad guy. That did shock me this time. I completely forgot that 
Oscar was the master behind this bank robbery plot. The actor is Jack Weston. How could kindly Max Kellerman from Dirty Dancing be an evil mastermind? That It fooled me. Admittedly, I have to say, I haven't seen this film since, like, 89. A long time has passed. So that was one other thing I did forget. You know, it's amazing to me that you were so insistent on doing this movie with it being such a hazy memory. I thought you loved this movie. I thought we were doing this movie because you loved it. But what you're saying is you've loved it in 1989. Yes, and I do get really into this movie once things hit about the one hour mark. The second half of this movie, to me, is much improved from the first. This is when the police get involved. And because Johnny Five tore up a bookstore getting input and of course because we have to be maudlin he decides to read one page at a time at human speed frankenstein and pinocchio but now the police are trying to find the creator they think remote control operator of johnny five and things really start to solidify and cohere at the really 50 minute mark of the film it's the first 50 where there's so much going on yeah, this still to this point, it all just feels like a collection of scenes to me. Like, none of it feels like it's leading anywhere quite yet. The only through point I do see is the vault heist right. that keeps popping up every once in a while. Beyond that, I am checked out at this point. And I do think that John Hughes and Christopher Columbus, though, completely ripped this movie off for Home Alone when I see Johnny Five's home security system. <laughs> Yeah, there was some good prop stuff going on there. The spinning of the robbers. Yeah, Rube Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine what's going on back in Montana at the ranch. That thing's probably booby-trapped to high heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. Stephanie, change color. Be trapped and suffocate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he killed them. Who knows? <laughs> We're assuming the best because he's so happy when he's getting input, but things get dark. And I I hate to be the weird morose guy, but I actually kind of like that the movie goes this off the rails with its with its darkness. I mean, it impressed me that, okay, of course Johnny's going to be tricked to help them break into the bank and they get the jewels and Johnny's going to realize that he was manipulated yet again and... That's not the end of it. You would think that that would be a hard enough lesson to learn. No, they're going to beat him down. They are going to chase him down and give him an ass whooping that is more befitting a RoboCop sequel than a Short Circuit sequel. <laughs> it really did feel like that scene of RoboCop. I couldn't believe when they hit him with an axe and one of the guys gets splashed across the chest. It's supposed to be battery acid, in which case it's take red. that shirt off. Yeah, it's, it looks it's like red, blood. like blood. That robot is bleeding with an axe murderer <laughs> whacking him <laughs> and can i just be completely honest and this is just between us right listeners i blubbered at this when i was 12 and 13 i just i couldn't take it and i cried from this moment through the end when when i need a hero comes up oh my god i was just tears streaming down my face i have no shame in that this movie is shockingly brutal in this last half year, this is hard stuff. And I won't say that it, I teared up watching it now, but I, I was genuinely shocked by somebody. I gasped. And it really was, it was hurtful to watch this cheerful robot just be, yes, 
disassembled, for lack of a better word. He just is completely broken down by everything at this point. And I think that that it may be too brutal for the young audience that enjoyed the first movie. But I do, as an adult, I found the shock of this to be engaging. It got me back into this movie, which I had been sort of a mezzo-mezzo on. For <laughs> yeah, it definitely pulls you back in. And I guess for me... I just don't know the stakes with Johnny Five. We know he's alive. Barely. But we don't know what death is to him. until I, They do say later that if he bleeds out his battery, then he's dead. But that might have been something to set up earlier. You know, if he's not charged for such and such amount of time, or if this part of his body gets hurt, he's no longer around. But yeah, this scene, you know, wow. <laughs> his eyes hanging out i mean you know yeah the bloody battery acid and just his voice arm off when he just... tries to pick up that arm and he tries to speak and he's like he can't and he can't move he like can't reattach the arm everything's so damn broken that scene is freaking maudlin that is like the end of dead man walking here yeah and johnny's all alone because the thieves took Ben and Fred and put them in a Chinese restaurant's freezer? It doesn't really make any sense. They were shown in a very early scene eating at that restaurant. So maybe it's a restaurant they they own or I don't really need to know the close associations. I do kind of like the way they get out of it that they have to call Sandy with a calculator through a strange sort of circumstance. They can only use the buttons that are, you know, musical at this point. They're different tones. So they send a musical code to her on how to find them and break them out. That was kind of clever and certainly creative. There's a lot of stretching going on in that scene, but yes. I went along with it right up until the Chinese restaurant was named Du Was. <laughs> that's, that's where my eyes about hit the back of my head. I feel like we need to explain to our younger listeners what a calculator is. <laughs> From when we didn't have one on our phone, people used to actually carry devices to do math for them. But yeah, they're just really lucky there's a Broadway in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure there's a Broadway in every town, but yes, they're still trying to pretend like they're in New York. <laughs> Which is part of the problem with this movie and trying to figure out where they are at certain times. Like, Stuart, you're just talking about, like, why are they at this Chinese restaurant? Because they can't do establishing shots. They're trying to pretend, like, this huge bank building is right across the street from some alley-facing warehouse that is obviously a mile and a half away at a different location. Those type of things where you can tell they just want to swing the camera around to establish where everybody's at, but they can't because across the street from that bank is yet another skyscraper and not this warehouse that they've been spending most of their time in. It certainly would have helped if they had had the money to be able to at least do that as a matte painting. And so Ben gets arrested, though, right after that, and Fred's just randomly looking for Johnny Five and finds him in this, like, incredibly, like, oh my god, so depressing scene where Johnny's writing on the wall very slowly. I know. Did David Fincher direct this movie? I mean, he just killed this character here. I mean, it's like Alien 3, like everything you love, we are going to just destroy. <laughs> and I thought that they were going to instantly like fix it all up. You know, they bring Frank in and Frank, of course, can redeem what he did to this robot earlier by being the one to help him. I thought, oh no, it's turned into a Radio Shack ad because they go into Radio Shack to get spare parts. But truthfully, 
even after this, even after we get him back to where he is, he's not the happy, shiny robot of before. He's a punk. He's got a mohawk and he's got like a death wish. He's a vigilante at this point. He might as well be voiced by Charles Bronson. He is a scary dude. So here's where I'm a little confused. They've made a big deal, and I don't know if this was just as a favor to the actor, who I also recognize as a Christopher Guest regular, but they made this big deal about Manic Mike. They showed his commercial earlier, and then they end up in a Radio Shack, which I did not connect to being the same place, and then he shows up and says that's his store. Radio Shack is a chain. <laughs> you, don't, you don't add your own name to Radio Shack. So what was the point of Manic Mike? Is it a franchise, maybe? Yeah, I definitely feel like the corporate head of Radio Shack would not be pleased with that Manic Mike would, was selling it as his own specialized Radio Shack that has, I guess, deals that you wouldn't find at a normal one. Uh, I don't know what those would be. But again, all they really wanted to do was set up the fact that it, the things he watches on TV early, Johnny is going to be able to call back to and reference. You know, he also looks at Tarzan and is going to be doing a big Tarzan action scene at the end. I don't know who this actor is. I don't know why he got billing above the cops that are constantly arresting both Johnny, Vive, and Ben, and above all the members of Los Locos. But he's there. I, I don't get it. Uh, that's Don Lake. He's a pretty good character actor. He's in quite a few things. I recognized the face, but it wasn't until I looked him up that I realized he was like in Terminator 2. <laughs> in the background. But yes, Johnny Five is going to get fixed up, get punked up, and you would think that this is where young me would stop crying and where old me would get really action-oriented. But as an adult, I didn't cry when Johnny got beat down. I was like, oh my god, that is harsh. And I didn't cry when his sparking, flaming, and writing on the wall. But for some reason, when I Need a Hero is playing and he's going after those three, man, I did not cry, but I might have welled up a little bit, become a little verklempt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want him to do it. Like I said, it works in the way that a 70s vigilante movie works. You were settling on the side of that robot to get them, like, brutally. I mean, <laughs> he can't do it bad enough and i do feel like with the mohawk look and all of that that cute manic thing that we loved in the previous movie and in the first half of this movie that's not what i'm watching here i am definitely watching an avenging angel and he's not even mad that they beat him up that's part of it it's when fred says that he and ben were locked in a freezer and he's like trap the humans kill the robot that's when he gets bloodlust <laughs> yeah he gets a little red in the eyes again you think about those saints that were armed with the nukes and all that and you're like oh that is right he is he is a robot that was designed for a, a weapon of mass destruction <laughs> that is in his programming he may have gotten struck by lightning but that didn't completely wipe that part of his character out and uh, frankly i think it helps for this climax which again is coming about 15 20 minutes later than i would have liked but it's still i'm invested in it i wouldn't have wanted the movie to end before we get to this ass whoop no i perked up at this point too you know the the song got me kicked back into gear and i'm i'm all locked and loaded for some revenge being served hot and tasty but then they start doing things that ask me to suspend i'm ready to suspend some belief but then they do things that just aren't physically possible like they send him and fred down a manhole which he would not fit through that really bothered me because the way the camera panned was like 
oh, he's standing, and then they shrink down, and they had to wait for them to go out of frame, and there's an actor standing there who's looking down, and then the camera follows to see an open manhole, which would be way, way, way too small to fit Johnny Five down. So that, ugh, things like that really pull me out of (laughs) a movie, and it shouldn't because I'm already buying the fact that this robot is alive, yet the manhole (laughs) cover is what really throws me back out. Yeah, it would have been more fun if they had had the money that he could adjust his width and length. And I'm sure that they would have loved to have been able to play. I think they gave him an umbrella. You know, at one point, there's a couple gadgets. He had a backpack with some stuff on it. He had by the hang glider. Yeah, hang glider. We didn't even talk about that. Hang glider. Yeah. But by and large, he's doing the stuff that he did last time. And, and it would have been nice to see more modifications. I just like him all Ramboed out when he's fighting the other two guys and doing like a crowbar fight and everything the two goons are going to get taken out pretty easily given that they were the ones who actually did all of the chopping and everything oscar who was just the mastermind he's gonna sucker punch fred and get away not bad for an old dude on his last film (laughs) true (laughs) and this is where we get some good classic mike mckean lenny acting he really (laughs) sells that gut punch doesn't he Mm. (laughs) and then yes johnny five going after oscar on a boat and you're like how could he get to him Uh, but he watched tarzan earlier yes exactly they got to throw that in and that was a staple of the first movie that tv and the things that he watched influenced later behavior and i think that's true of kids i think that's why kids relate to johnny is because when they when they see things on tv they want to do it and johnny's like a little kid basically so i think hopefully that brings them back that johnny isn't the scary thing that they wouldn't want anymore but that he's just got a mohawk and i don't know though i really if i had saw this at an early impressionable age He might have gone too far. This robot might have gone too berserker for me to be rooting for him here in the climax. There are certain movies I watched before I was emotionally ready. Dark Crystal, War of the Roses, hell, Throw Mama from the Train. Just movies that go darker than my age is ready for. When Mm -hmm. I was, you know, 13, I was able to handle this. But you're right. If I'd been 10 or under and watching this, I don't know that I could have articulated it. I just know this movie would have made me feel weird and sad. Yes. It still makes me feel that now, but I can (laughs) articulate it. Yes. (laughs) But for completely different reasons. But this whole time, I mean, he's been fixed up, but he's leaking battery acid. Fred had this whole thing. He's worn one shirt the whole damn movie, and it's a silk shirt, and he finally tears off the sleeve to try to stop the bleeding of Johnny Five. You know, his I guess that's making up for trying to sell him is he'll tear his shirt sleeve off, Mm -hmm. but, but it doesn't matter. There's still a countdown that Johnny seems somewhat unaware of that he has to capture Oscar before he dies and there's sparks coming out of him and all this. It's still, I don't know how they got the song from Footloose, but it, this whole thing, despite it's supposed to be the, yeah, go Johnny moment. I'm still feeling sad after Johnny catches Oscar. There's one thing that I just try to look at as a whole thread here. I mean, we talked about Johnny going to the church. Oscar looks at Johnny and says, are you punishment from God? Is that just a random line the screenwriter threw in? Or do they actually see like a religious motif that Johnny was struck by lightning and put on this earth to punish Oscar? I mean, I think it's there again. The fact that they talked about 
creation, origin? Should we think of him as a living being and all of that? That that yes, that we're now supposed to think that this lightning bolt infused punk rocker. Yeah, again, it does feel like wrath. Oh my God. Is this the passion of the Johnny Five? <laughs> you are overemphasizing it for comedic effect, but to answer your question in one word, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they should have done this twice. They already did the he's about to die thing, and then what? Frank fixed him. To me, that should have been the end of it. This should just be about getting the bad guy that's getting away on the boat. That They have to get Ben in here to get him the defibrillator and bring him back to life again. I guess they just want to give Ben something to do. He's largely been forgotten by the, the plot of the second half of this movie. Sandy's had something to do. Frank's had something to do. Johnny's definitely had something to do. They really haven't given Ben much to do. So I think that's why they have this, oh, he's going to die again moment that feels excessive. Yeah, it almost goes back to the point that there's one too many characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure who that is. It might have been, you know, combining a couple of these people into one. Yeah. I wish if I'm going to be really evaluating a story structure here i wish that johnny had died the second time for a noble cause but you're right he's on death wish he's just out for revenge even Mm -hmm. if it means his own death he doesn't die nobly he doesn't die saving a bus full of children you know what i'm Mm -mm. saying yeah no yeah they would have gotten the jewels. I mean, international cops would have gotten that old man in a speedboat. He would not have gotten away. This was about revenge. You did me wrong. You lied to me. You manipulated me. You made me feel lesser. I'm going to get you. But I did look it up. I felt I had to. And no, you cannot recharge a car battery with a defibrillator. A defibrillator is high voltage, low amperage. A car battery is low voltage, high amperage. And a defibrillator is a short charge. You did do your research. Oh. It scares me a little bit that you had to look that up. Yeah, yeah. You mean you knew this off the top of your head? I would assume if I'm stranded and my battery's dead, but we have a defib machine, I'm not going to try that. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't want to come on the show and sound like an idiot going, oh, you couldn't do that. And then have somebody (laughs) who's actually mechanical school me on it, you know? (laughs) No, no, we do it all the time. But it is kind of like that joke i saw going around on facebook that if you put your iphone in the microwave for one minute it'll recharge your battery (laughs) (laughs) i had heard that one it doesn't work don't try it at home kids i get the idea of raw humor but that's mean (laughs) well also mean is seeing johnny die i mean (laughs) again i agree we've already saw him suffer so much to have this moment again is excessive but of course they don't do it and uh it quickly turns magical you know i sandy and ben are lovers that open their own business it's worth pointing out everyone has a crappy boss and that even the characters you're not supposed to like, like Oscar, you know, it, it, he did have one scene where the head of the bank, like, treated him like crap. Sandy was treated like crap at the department store. You know, being a street vendor, you're treated like crap. Johnny was definitely treated like crap. I mean, you're just seeing a lot of put-upon people. And the solution is here at the end, maybe too little too late, we just get this feeling like it's, it's all going to be fine because they're all in business together. Johnny, Frank... 
Sandy, Ben, they're all going to open Input Incorporated and they're going to sell these little Saint dolls themselves and not have to rely on mean department store chains. I'm hoping they paid off the loan shark. Yeah, you <laughs> got, he's walking. So the fact that Michael <laughs> McKean is does not have a missing finger <laughs> leads me to believe that the mafia has been cut out of this proposition. But who knows? Maybe that was the sequel for three. <laughs> And Johnny gets a new gold plating. I remembered that very clearly, that he's all blingy. Overly blingy. Yeah, I didn't remember that. And he's a citizen. Again, I think they want to draw that parallel, that we should think about artificial life and robotics and all as being a, as a value as anybody else that comes into this country. It's a, I think, a very bold, ahead-of-its-time concept to contemplate in 1988. But also the underlying message of being American is superior. I mean, he's he's now golden because he's American. Yeah, that was sure. Fisher yeah. Stevens' full-on, you know, beyond trying to find a woman. That was his entire <laughs> thrust was to become an American citizen. So a little bit of an undertone there. It led to some of his better puns. I do remember he was studying Warren Harding and ended up saying hard on, or warring hard on or something. But yeah, they did try to... Make that a thread throughout for his character, because honestly, they didn't have much for Ben to do once he sets up the conflict of we need to make a bunch of little mini robots. Somehow he beds Sandy that first night. He comes in smoking the cigarette and everything. I know how she got her job that she was incompetent at and how she got her job at Input. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that was none too subtle. You know, I mean, (laughs) again, you got to keep the adults engaged. Uh, Much of this movie, despite how we've emphasized what is so strange, morbid and adult about it. Much of this movie's humor is targeting very, very young kids. And so when they slip that kind of stuff in, I think it is to give the adults the occasional laugh. But did it work? So, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Short Circuit to Justin? You know, with the first one, I went along with it and enjoyed the the nostalgia of it. And ultimately, it was end up being a better movie than I even remembered it. This time around, watching the second one, it just felt too uneven. It was trying to do too many things and not doing any of them very well. I mean, we talked a bunch over the last hour or so about how this part was too kiddy, this part was a little too adulty. You know, a movie from Pixar can be aimed at a general audience, made for kids, have a moral, and still have inside jokes for adults to laugh at that go right over kids' heads without feeling forced. And Johnny Five just didn't have any of that this time around for me. And I don't know if it's just my age and the fact that I have no nostalgia for this movie because I don't remember seeing it at the time, or if it really is that uneven of a film that I just couldn't find anything to like about it, yet alone love. I wasn't overly impressed with seeing more of Johnny Five. I felt like that had kind of run its course. Sometimes a little bit goes a long way. And I kind of feel like at some points I wasn't even looking at him when he was on screen. I was paying more attention to the human he was interacting with and seeing where they were looking while interacting with this puppet on screen. And that's not what you want from a film that is supposed to be showcasing this awesome technology that is supposed to be your big draw. So at the end of the day, it just left me feeling eh about the entire thing. And it actually kind of stained my memory of the first one a little bit too, knowing <laughs> that this is where the franchise went. So I've got to, I've got to say, yeah, it's a, it's a not recommend for me. Stuart. 
It's better than Steel. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I think that I liked it better than the first Short Circuit. I think because there is more elements that did captivate me. Justin, you're not wrong. This movie is wildly uneven and a better director and screenwriter collaboration would have yielded something that did everything they're trying to do, but in a way that didn't, yes, feel like half the time you're watching a, a car crash. But I do feel like... Sometimes I can find a lot of entertainment in watching more uneven movies than basic formula. And I think that that's what's going on here. I think that their boldness to tackle deeper issues about artificial intelligence really impressed me. Their ability to get emotion out of this robot's extreme abuse is definitely going to make an impression on people. Again, I still think that you need to watch it with kids, but I think you would have more to talk about afterwards, even if it's just to wipe away their tears. <laughs> I think that there's going to be more of a conversation to be had after Short Circuit, too. And so, you know, if you're an adult, again, go with Blade Runner or go with Her. That was the movie I was really thinking about. That's a really impressive movie about do artificial intelligent beings feel and and love and if you're just if, if it's a night for you in the movies her and not short circuit too but if you want to engage a younger audience in these kind of debates i'm gonna go yeah green arrow for short circuit too wow at now playing we really have three arrow colors right we've got the recommend the not recommend and then we have the ever-present brown arrow that shows up green on our website but it's the so bad it's good arrow and I really was sitting here like all three of those are on the table for this movie. <laughs> There's like so much at the beginning with Los Locos. I obviously just need a Los Locos gang tattoo and the bookstore and the Saturday Night Live stuff is all clear brown arrow territory. The storytelling and the pacing of the first hour of this movie is clear red arrow territory. And then I think it actually gets legitimately coherent and good at the end, you know? I mean, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken, but I really still got emotional with Johnny Five's death. And I thought I'd come on this show and say, yeah, when I was a kid, wasn't I so silly? I cried about this. And as an adult, it's still breaking my heart. No, I, I think we all admit it's impacting. You may not cry, but you will be shocked. And I knew what was coming, though. I wasn't shocked. It's just the way it's told. Who would have thought the director of Steel could actually make this touching? And yet he pulls it off. He takes this kid's toy and brutalizes it. Yeah, I don't think it's that <laughs> hard to do. If you take something people love and disfigure it in front of them, it's going to get a tear. <laughs> and how much of that goodwill is carryover from the first time around? Well, and while the directors from television, I think, this is actually a surprisingly good-looking film at times. That hang-gliding scene where he's knocked out the window and hang-glides down, I think that it really has some awesome aerial shots. I do think a lot of the framing and things is very television, but some parts of it really look good for what they're doing. I knew this was going to get a nostalgic Green Arrow. You know, Stuart, you were doing the what ranking you'd give it when you were 13 and now for the 1986 stuff. Well, for me, this was certainly a Green Arrow as a kid. And now I'm going to give it a weak recommend. I really think it does some things right. It does a lot of things wrong, but I think it's worth seeing legitimately. Whew. I'm so glad. I would think this would be so weird if I'm the only one that likes this one. 
The one, like all betting pools lose. Like Vegas, like goes into like recession because they're like, there's no way he's going to recommend it. That happened to like Mutant Ninja Turtles, though. When you somehow recommended three, <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was desperation. This I legitimately mean what I said. It is a mess of a movie, and I could definitely see you not enjoying it and not recommending it. But with the right audience and with the right frame of mind, I think it's a more bold picture than the last one and i want to give it some kind of props for that and i would say this my not recommend could easily be turned the other way if somebody would make this half hour shorter if there's a fan Mm, cut of this movie somewhere Mm, i'm I'm more than happy to recommend it i would agree completely and this is where the series ends johnny five he may have been gold-plated and survived at the end you know that could all have been like the afterlife for him he went to heaven and that was all like a computer dream and he really died because in our world he did yeah i think he came back for some educational short i saw on wikipedia i watched it oh i watched (laughs) (laughs) of course you did hot cars cold facts it is a 30 minute oh man (laughs) yes indeed (laughs) educational video apparently after getting american citizenship they do actually start that with johnny becoming an american citizen although he's not gold-plated they have him you know taking the oath and everything they have a montage of him moving to los angeles and what would you think johnny five's career would be um i I don't have a guess i i could think of a lot of things would realtor be at the top of the list no he becomes a realtor come on And he sells the house and goes out and buys himself a red pickup and then car thieves steal it. And he has to get input from his neighbor, who's an investigative reporter, about car theft and things he could do to protect his car. And this goes on for 25 minutes. Wow. Well, I'm sure they moved him to Los Angeles because that's where it was being made. And they didn't want to take the trouble of filming anywhere else. They weren't going to go back to Toronto for 30 minutes. Well, this wasn't funded by a studio. This was funded by the California Attorney General's office. Okay, so that's why it's in California. Okay. As an advocate for car theft, I guess it's what? A mea culpa for basically endorsing stealing stereos. He never got any punishment for letting that gang steal all those stereos. But they didn't get... Tim Blaney back. I don't know if they got... I think they got the voice of Big Bird to do him on that video. It's it's really off. <laughs> but he's still quoting a lot of television. You still see Johnny Five in this role, even if most of it is him being lectured about putting the club on his steering wheel, and then eventually he creates booby traps to catch the car thieves. Is that what we're supposed to do? we're supposed to go get the club yes and not leave the car unlocked and i mean he gets to visit a chop shop it's wow it's something i guess so is it just a glorified commercial for the club (laughs) (laughs) it is a psa from the sacramento pd to try to stop rampant car theft okay and that sadly is the only thing we got they were trying to keep johnny alive there was a short circuit three in development it was going to be johnny goes to college i remember reading about it for many years at that point i was definitely boning up on all movies coming out and i read many times that that was in the works destined to be coming out very very soon but nope it never did 
The nerds went to college around the same time from Revenge of the Nerds. Ghoulies went to college. I guess Johnny would have fit in. Ernest went to college. He could have gone to space, but nobody else was going to space at that point. So it really, you know, we weren't going to space. So why the hell are we going to send that robot? Yeah, that's a difficult one. I don't know what you do with it because the longer you wait, the audience that fell in love with it outgrows it. They're not going to want to come back. So if you don't strike while the iron's hot with kitty properties, I do feel like, yeah, if, if they were going to pull it together by 91, 92, it's way too late. We went to college, and most of us wouldn't go back to Short Circuit. They also looked at doing, like, a TV show, which, if you think about it, it was the age of small wonder and everything, so that would make sense. Might be expensive, I don't know. I did find it funny, the chassis of Johnny, I think it's from the first film, did get reused. He was salvaged by Wes Craven and used as a robot in Deadly Friend. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, I know that one. Beep, beep. (laughs) And then they did give up the idea of a sequel, but in the late aughts, a friend of mine actually was working with Bob Weinstein on a reboot of Short Circuit. Uh, I mean, it seems like with everything coming back, honestly, I thought that that would be, if we ever did Short Circuit, why we would do Short Circuit. I never thought we would do Short Circuit. Honest to God, even when I suggested Sci-Fi of Summer 86, I'm like, there's other ones to do. But when we were talking about doing this one, I wasn't sure that they hadn't already announced a new one coming out. (laughs) I had to do some digging to find out. Thankfully, there's nothing on the horizon yet, but... Yeah, could happen, though. Yeah, Dan Milano, he he wrote for Robot Chicken, and he works at Nickelodeon. He was doing the Short Circuit reboot. He and I have, like, similar tastes and similar childhood memories, so I really... I never read his script, but I just know he would have done Johnny Five right. But then he moved on to other projects. The idea still went on, and... Oh, God. According to Slash Film, Matt Lieberman wrote a remake that was going to be directed by Tim Hill, who did, you know, the squeakwool and Alfred and the Chipmunks and Garfield Tale of Two Kitties. Mm. Oh, boy. Franchises we haven't covered yet. Never, ever, ever. Because we don't have an audience of six-year-olds. They can't donate. (laughs) But... If you can believe this, Tim Hill was talking about how it was going to really be a dark Johnny Five that touched on drone combat, and Johnny realizes that he is an agent of death. They were going to make Stephanie like a preteen girl, so Johnny was going to partner with a preteen girl even though he's a war drone. Yeah, I can see that that was his concept, and I can also see in the pitch meeting that everyone, like, knew. We're not going to make that movie. If you're going to make Short Circuit, you're going to make a happy one. You're just, no one wants the dark, nihilistic. uh, Yeah, you you would almost need to treat this the same way Jurassic World treated, you know, Jurassic Park, where it's a lot of nods to the old one. And telling the same story. Yeah, squeakwell it. Soft reboot it. Yeah. But don't reinvent the story no, no, of no. Johnny Five. Yeah, Tim Hill felt Johnny Five was too cute and cuddly looking. He wanted a dangerous looking robot. Well, maybe they could introduce a new program with new robots and Johnny Five comes in and helps save the day or something. But you don't just recreate the story again. I'm sure Gutenberg Oops. would come back. <laughs> Actually, Fisher <laughs> Stevens was in talks. <laughs> 
with himself. <laughs> no, with the studio. He he said he was waiting for an official offer, but they were talking about bringing back the actor, if not Ben, in the Short Circuit reboot. I don't know if it would have been a cameo or what. Gutenberg probably needs work these days. You know, a reboot, I, I think, yeah, if you make it, make it for kids, reboot it with really young actors... Make it short, make it full of sass, and I don't think we would enjoy that movie at all, but I think that that's the way to make it. Truthfully, I think the closest thing we're going to come to that gritty reboot of Short Circuit is Chappie. And when I saw that movie, I'm like, wow, this is a modernized Short Circuit where a war drone becomes alive. It is got a lot of the beats and he even runs with a gang who convinces him to steal cars saying they're their cars and he doesn't believe he's doing wrong it is and i just love that movie i love neil blowcamp top to bottom and chappie is being reviewed in our book that's coming out later this year so that's how much i love that movie I might give that one a shot. I think that one kind of got lost in my shuffle of movies, kind of confused it with the the fighting robot movie with uh, Hugh Jackman. Real steel, yeah. Both of them had Hugh Jackman, I'll give you that. <laughs> but now that there's a recommend on it, I might give it a shot and maybe wash a little bit of Short Circuit 2 away from my memory hole. Sadly, while Chappie does rap, he's not going to kick your ass into outer space. <laughs> And with that, that brings our short circuit retrospective to a close. Remember, we did this as a special thank you to our current donors and as a plea to those of you sitting on the fence or sitting on the sidelines and haven't donated, please come out, help support Now Playing. Our donation drive is coming to an end. Ghostbusters out this Friday. You can still get the Men in Black series and Independence Day series, plus the six 1986 reviews. Critters, Invaders from Mars, Space Camp, Labyrinth, Big Trouble in Little China, and Night of the Creeps. All those shows available immediately. Donate today. Get those podcasts today. Then starting tomorrow, three weeks of Ghostbusters. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com. And Justin, you're going to be back with us in just a couple weeks. We're going to do another bonus show Star Trek Beyond comes out the weekend of San Diego Comic-Con. Rather than rush that show out and try to do Comic-Con all in the same weekend, we're still going to have Star Trek Beyond that week. But on Tuesday, just to bide you over, Justin, Marjorie, and I are going to be reviewing The Last Starfighter. Yeah. It's only got to tide you over a couple of days. The Star Trek review will be out Thursday or Friday of that week. So it's not going to be a full week later. We can't do that. There's just too many theatrical releases. We've got Star Trek Beyond, followed by Jason Bourne, followed by Suicide Squad. It's a jam-packed summer. It really is. So it's going to be Last Starfighter on Tuesday, Star Trek Beyond on Friday as another show, and then Jason Bourne the Tuesday after that. So why The Last Starfighter? Why the hell not? It's about space fights, and I love that movie. So, Justin, we will talk to you on that show and then some others coming up. I look forward to it. And so, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. You bet. Anytime. And until next time, when you gotta go, don't squeeze the Charmin. Why did you ignore your programming? Programming says destroy is disassemble, make dead. Number five cannot. Why cannot? Is wrong. Incorrect. 
Newton Crosby, Ph.D., not know this? Well, of course I know it's wrong to kill, but who told you? I told me. Thank you for listening to this bonus now playing Short Circuit movie review. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Magnificent! Magnificent! Now that, my friend, is how you kick ass. Now Playing is a podcast with no sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep reviewing movies week after week. You're leaving me with my back to the wall here. I mean, we got to come up with something. It's not possible. We are the type of people who have everything in our favor going against us. And right now, through July 31st, 2016, if you donate to Now Playing, you can get over a dozen bonus movie reviews. Input. Megabytes of input. Hear reviews of all films in the Men in Black, Independence Day, and Ghostbusters series. Plus reviews of six sci-fi classics from 1986, Critters, Invaders from Mars, Labyrinth, Space Camp, Big Trouble in Little China, and Night of the Creeps. Well, we are manufacturing them like gangbangers. Find details on how to donate by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. All now, our operators are standing by. Newton, come on, hurry up, they're waiting for you. Now Playing's Short Circuit Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Look, just get back to work. But you're ordering me? I'm not Slave-O-Matic, I'm Johnny Five. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I just knew this guy once who started talking like you right before he decided he was God. Now Playing is not affiliated with TriStar Pictures, the Terman Foster Company, or any of the makers or copyright holders of the Short Circuit films. Short Circuit and Short Circuit 2 are the intellectual property of those companies, and no infringement is intended. Frankie, you broke the unwritten law. You ratted it on your friends. That, Frankie, your enemies don't respect you. You got no friends no more. You got nobody, Frankie. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Dubious. Hard to believe. Now playing is a Venganza Media Production copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. What do we do now? Well, I don't know about you, but I am planning to scream and run. Good answer. Oh, yeah, and my Incredible Hulk reviews on the Gazette, which are still someday coming. Someday. Like 2018. (laughs) 2019. Mailed from Oregon by... Or, or, I'm sorry, mailed from Idaho by... Montana. Is it Montana? It is. The same year Earth Girls are easy, every time he shows up, airheads, I'm like, wow, that guy just keeps going. Yeah, well, and Squeaky, where is he? I don't know. You know, sometimes it can go the other way. Squiggy. Squiggy? Squiggy. Lenny and Squiggy. Oh, you're right. See, I I couldn't even remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) Squiggy shows up, but unfortunately, he looks like Squiggy. He at one point does, isn't that special? And another point, yeah, that's the ticket. I'm like, wow, do they have nothing in Montana but NBC? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. I'm willing to bet that's even true now. (laughs) There go our Montana donors. (laughs) All three of them. (laughs) Do they have the internet there? Good God. (laughs) (laughs) That Hughes net for farmers. I found out on Twitter that guy's a bit of a dick. 
Like, it's a long story, but he required uh, Tom Selleck and the third man, Ted Danson, both said, yeah, go ahead, use a standee of us. But they had to put a piece of paper over Gutenberg's face because for a television show that wanted to make a three men and a baby joke, he required 40 grand. Is that being a dick or being poor? (laughs) (laughs) If you're asking a TBS comedy show for 40 grand, you're a dick. You don't even have to do work just to use a standee of you that people thought was a ghost for years. Oh, wait, no, that was Ted Danson. (laughs) (laughs) We started with Critters, and then we had Invaders from Mars, Space Camp, Big Trouble in Little China, Night of the Creeps, and Labyrinth. Not in that order. (laughs) You never get the order right. (laughs) (laughs) We started with Critters. And then we had Invaders from Mars, Labyrinth, Space Camp. <laughs> you got it wrong again. Where is Labyrinth? I hate Let that. me do this. Okay. <laughs> hello, hello. Yep. All right. Arnie? I am most ready to be talking about the Sharted Circuit. Oh, there he is. <laughs> the Sharted Circuit. <laughs> Why the last Starfighter? Why the hell not? It's about space fights, and I love that movie. Yeah, and it's kind of finishing up the whole 1986 thing going on. So because it came nice... out in 1985, did it really? <laughs> 1984. Oh, really? Is it that old? Yeah. I thought I thought it was for sure it was 86. <laughs> All right, got that old thing. <laughs> <laughs> I really did think it was an 86 movie for some reason. I don't know why. Because we just did so many. <laughs> 